With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's happening, everybody? We have a new episode of Crossed Up, dusted off the mics. At least I'm dusting off the mic. I know, Anthony, you've been recording with Russ. You've still been in the game, but it's been a while for me. So we have a new episode of Crossed Up here, and uh, we are getting together today uh, a little bit earlier than we expected. I think that we were we were on a January time frame at first for bringing back the show, but it's not every day that your team hires a uh, new president of baseball operations so we're here Anthony what's happening how you been it's it's been a while dude I know Bob it's been forever and and we had a lot of big news happening around us uh, um uh you know obviously with the the sale of our site and stuff like that so I mean I don't want people to think that that's the only reason why we tried this out the day after <laughs> the site was sold it just so happened that the two things lined up uh, Completely coincidentally, uh, with the Phillies uh, announcing Dave Dombrowski coming in and, and then the site being sold. But it's a great thing for all of us, for everybody, and I'm, I'm excited. I know when we talked the other day, uh, we're, we're really excited to get this thing back up and running again. So I'm really looking forward to talking baseball. It's been too long. Yeah, same. I, I've had a couple of people reach out uh, since the, the site was sold and it, it went public and everyone goes – I don't even feel like you're working for them anymore. What do you What do you do at Crossing Broad? <laughs> like we don't see right about the Phillies. We see some betting advertisements occasionally. So I can't even begin to explain to you how how busy it's been the last two three months and and some of the things that we're doing with our uh, other sites and other properties and stuff like that. And that's really no, nobody gave us a mandate to get back to work today. It wasn't right. like that. It was. It's honestly just the way things lined up. We were going to bring the show back, and uh, it just sort of worked out where we have an opportunity to record this today. And and uh, so here we are. And you know, obviously, this was uh, a little bit of a stunner. You know, I, I think that uh, there were some reports earlier in the off season that you know John Middleton might talk to Dave Dombrowski. There might be some interest there, but I don't think that anybody truly felt like uh, that this was going to come together, especially after he had, you know, basically said that he wanted to, to put this thing together in Nashville and try to start it up down there. And, but yet here we are. And it's, it's interesting to me. And, and obviously we'll talk about this move and what it means for the franchise. And, and is it a good move and evaluate it from that way? But, you know, I think that it's, it's been an interesting offseason in a lot of ways, um, not from, a, from an, a new player acquisition standpoint, certainly, but it's been an interesting offseason in a lot of ways with, uh, you know, the, the demotion of Matt Klintak and, and this limbo that Andy McPhail's in. And I think my sense is, and I've, I've really tried to take a step back and not overreact to every single thing that we're seeing here. Like, it's so easy to be negative about the Phillies right now. It's so easy to criticize them from, you know, cutting jobs within the organization to, to, you know, the uprooting in the middle of a pandemic, which is one of the all time boners that I've, I've ever heard from a, you know, the voice of an organization. 
there's just so many things to be down on this team about, but I've, I've just tried to take this more measured approach where I say, let's see it all kind of unfold before we drop the hammer here. Like there, I, I, I think if nothing else, you have to, and I don't want to give them credit, but I think you have to at least acknowledge that John Middleton and at the, at the upper levels of this organization know that it has failed and that it has failed in spectacular fashion and that things need to change in order to get to wherever it is they want to go. So I think there's an acknowledgement in place there. I hate the messaging. Uh, I, I hate some of the things that we've seen come out and some of the reports that we've seen come out. But I don't believe that this organization has its head buried in the sand saying all is well. I, I truly don't believe they feel like that. So I'm waiting to see how this thing kind of comes together. And we have one big piece of it now. Yeah, I, I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think it's a fiddle while Rome burns kind of scenario, right? I, I, I don't see that. But at the same time, I, I do have questions on the competency of the business structure of the organization. And, and I feel like I was fooled in, in a lot of ways in, in that regard. And I don't want to come off as negative because when we talk about Dombrowski, I'm going to be very positive. I'm going to actually, you know, I'll let that cat out of the bag early. I think it's a very good hire. Um, and and I'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, I had a really different thought about John Middleton. Um, and maybe it took a little longer for it to hit me. Uh, I, because I, I recall, you know, having a, uh, doing an episode with you last year when he did the end of season, um, uh, uh, press conference where he rambled on for, for, you know, 31 minutes, I think it was, or something answering that one question, however long it was. Um, and I actually kind of liked that. Like I, I, I liked the fact that even though he, it was a, everybody kind of panned that press conference. I, I said to myself, him. I said, you know what? I killed him. Yeah, I, yeah, I know you did. Right? And, but I, I sat there and said, you know, I kind of liked some of the things that he said, even though he was rambling, some of the things in there rang true for me and it made sense to me. And I was like, okay, all right, I still buy it. I still believe this guy. I still think that this guy at his heart wants to win and is going to do what he can. Even if he makes mistakes along the way, he's going to spend the money. He's going to do the things he needs to do. And then this year happened. And now, and now I'm listening to a billionaire cry poor. Um, um, and I, I, look, every team in professional sports is laying people off. So I'm not going to criticize the Phillies for eliminating 80 jobs. The only way I would criticize the Phillies is eliminating 80 jobs the night before Thanksgiving. Um, it, it just <laughs> Who not, would ever do that? <laughs> that's the thing. It's just that, you know, you're going to do it, you do it, but just have better sense of timing. Well, right? I'll, I'll let you continue. And it's interesting that you bring that up because one of my biggest problems with this organization is messaging. And I've said that on this show before. I've, I've written about this before. It's not necessarily that they're doing the wrong things or that some of their philosophies are so absurd. It's just the way that they come across to the public. And, you know, the, the all-time example of that obviously has to be the if we don't, we don't. Right. Which happened back in, in 2019. You know, the, the idea in that sense was that this team isn't that good. We're not going to leverage or mortgage our future against this product. Right. And like of all the things that they got wrong, that was actually one assessment that they got right. That team sucked. It was a bad team. They could have made a trade. I don't believe it would have been the difference. And it, at the expense of who? Alex Bone or Alex Bone? You know, like, what, what would you have given up in order to make that difference in, in 2019? That wasn't necessarily the wrong way to think, 
But the way that it was conveyed was just abysmal. And it's the same thing. Hey, we're in the middle of a pandemic, right? Hey, like we're, we're trying to figure this out. There's a lot of moving parts. Finances matter. We have to take things into consideration that we previously didn't take things into consideration. Mm-hmm. But to say that, hey, we can't make significant moves because nobody's going to want to uproot in the middle of a pandemic is just an insane way to message that idea. We yeah. might have to move a little bit more methodically. We may have to take our time. We're not totally sure how this is going to play out yet. All fine things to say. But when you have your team across the street totally flipping their organization upside down and you have other teams across baseball doing the same thing, you can't say that. The messaging is Correct. terrible. Yeah, it's bad messaging. And, and then the owner looks like a fool even more so with the whole story that came out about Zach Wheeler. You know, uh, is he not being told by his um, interim general manager the conversations that are being happened? Probably not. You know, I mean, I'm sure that any GM, not just Ned Rice in this, in this situation, but any general manager in any sport has myriad conversations with other general managers, just bandying names about, basic conversations, little things here and there, and they don't bring it to ownership until they have something concrete. So what it's, you know, I, I believe Buster Olney and Ken Rosenthal and those reports that say that the Phillies talk to other teams about Zach Wheeler. I also believe John Middleton said I didn't give that directive. Maybe not specifically, but I guarantee you what the directive that John Middleton gave was we need to find a way to cut some salary. And this was one of the ways they were exploring. And so they look like, they look like buffoons because of it. I, I think it's an indictment of the organization that the owner even had to issue the statement that he, ha- you know, that he made. Like, I wouldn't trade him for yeah. Benny Bruce. Like, the fact that he even had to say this, it's just such a reflection of where this whole organization is at right now. It's embarrassing. Right. And, and honestly, the thing that, the, the least offensive thing that I, about the entire story as it pertains to Wheeler is that they had the conversation. I don't mind that they had the conversation. For any <laughs> team, I. you have to explore every option. Zach Wheeler was awesome last year. And certainly, if your goal is we want to be a competitive team, you would think that pairing Zach Wheeler with Aaron Nola 1-2 at the top of your rotation is, is the way to do it. But I have to say, like, I don't understand – this team's vision and I don't understand this team's direction and and therefore like to me they're not close they're not close right now they're not going to win in 2021 and we'll talk about that again as it pertains to Dave Dombrowski in a moment as well I don't see any path of getting to being a a true contender in the National League or in the NL East this season I don't see it so that being said the amount of money that you're going to pay Zach Wheeler are you willing to bank on that two, three years out? Because to me, that's really what this is all about now. So I'm not offended that they had that conversation. I am offended, though, that there was that the, the main decision makers, the people that are left, aren't on the same page, that the owner even had to make that statement. And, you know, here's one other thing. You're going to go out and hire Dave Dombrowski, which I think just came together in the last couple of days. But trading Zach Wheeler the decision to do that and then also assessing the potential return isn't the type of decision an interim general manager should be making Correct. you have to wait you can't make these types of you know 
franchise altering decisions without your your future decision makers in place that's yeah. what i don't get yeah the one thing I, the one thing though bob that i will say and in their defense and i, I don't want to defend them on this because i think what you say is 100% or 99% correct the one thing i will say in their defense is uh, my guess is the story originally broke with Buster only on ESPN when rival other general managers, other team executives alerted him. Hey, by the way, we heard from the Phillies. They're considering moving Zach Wheeler. So that didn't mean anything was impending. In other words, it could have just been fact. They could have still just been in the fact finding stage, right? What can we get for this guy? Let's put it up on the whiteboard and like compare all of our options. So it could have just been that. Right. And, and maybe it got blown into something a little bit bigger because it became a national story. So in their defense, that does happen. But you're you're right in the sense that why are we letting the people that you have left over doing this legwork when you should have when it should be the people who are going to be running the organization for the next five years that should be doing it? I have a theory about the owner. And my theory is this. I, I believe that John Middleton can be bullied. Um, I believe that he's somebody that is very aware of, of what is being said about him, uh, the way that he's perceived. And I think that, you know, you have Phillies fans tweeting at the team's account and at his son, who's on Twitter, saying, you know, sell the team, you losers, you lied to us, you robbed us, you guys are idiots. And I guarantee you that the son and the father have conversations about that. Mm-hmm. Like any human being would. They have to – I think certain owners probably let that, ro- that type of stuff roll off their, their backs a little bit more uh, easily than others. I believe that John Middleton is somebody that internalizes that type of criticism. When they signed Bryce Harper, he loved, you know, like they always do that, that, um, that like signing Harper documentary during the rain delays and stuff. He was loving himself in in that documentary, like the the interview about how he went in and closed the deal. And he loved the victory lap that he got to take ahead of the, the 2019 season. Right. Like he liked being liked, loved, you know, get your effing trophy back. Everyone, you know, slurped all that up. But now here we are two years later, and he's like public enemy number one. I can't remember an owner who fell from grace so quickly. I mean, this dude was a rock star. And, and just like that, it's like he's, he's robbing the city of, of baseball. And, and I think he knows it, and I think he knows the way that people feel about him. And I frankly wouldn't be surprised if it's starting to get to him a little bit. And I wouldn't be terribly surprised if the Wheeler thing kind of pushed him over the edge. And I wouldn't be surprised that part of the reason that Dave Dombrowski is now coming here is because something has happened in the last five to seven days where he said, I, I, have, to, I have to stabilize this thing. I have to get some type of credibility. And I, I have to fix, I guess fix his reputation. He yeah. probably stepped on the gas here a little bit and, yeah. and needed that established name to try to stabilize this ship a little bit. Because right now, not only is it directionless, it's sinking. Yeah. So yeah. I think that that's where we're at here. And I think this is a good this is a good transition to get to Dombrowski because one of the things I, I wanted to say about him um, as a potential hire as president of baseball operations, you know, he left the Red Sox um, over a dispute with ownership. 
as far as the direction of the team. This is coming off of, you know, they had just won the World Series the year before. Yes, it was midseason, and it looked like Boston was going to miss the playoffs at that point. Um, But I get the sense that, I mean, knowing now what Boston did afterward, which was trade Mookie Betts and kind of go into a rebuild, um, that that was the direction that ownership wanted to kind of go into. Let's shed some of the salaries and let's start kind of start over again and, and get this thing going in a different direction. And Dombrowski, I think, probably believed he could still make it work with what they had and make it make the team win with what they had. And that was where the, the parting of ways came. So then he goes to Nashville and he's committed to trying to bring a baseball team to Nashville. What changes for him? What changes for Dave Dombrowski to suddenly say, okay, now I'll go to the Phillies where things are a mess, okay? And I think it has to be that Middleton, that he says to Middleton, I'm only coming there, A, if I'm, you know, the person in charge of everything, because he's very hands-on. Every, this is, you know, every report that we have about Dombrowski as, as a manager or president of baseball operations is that, that he's hands-on and he's everywhere at all times. Um, but also a commitment to doing what is necessary to turn this around. Like if Middleton's going to sit there and say, well, you know, I want to bring you in, but I'm not going to go over that luxury tax. You need to cut all this salary, whatever. Does Dave Dombrowski say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come in anyway? I mean, he doesn't seem like that kind of leader. So that's why, to me, I think that Middleton may have, like you said, realized just how low he has sunk in the eyes of Philadelphia fans and in this community and realize I got to do something to turn this around. Yeah. And, and from that, in that way, I look at this as a positive development that again, there's some self-awareness here. Like this is a mess I have created or have helped create a mess. We need to clean it up. So if I'm a fan, I look at it and say the hiring of this guy means that there is some urgency. Now, when we talk about win now and his track record, and we can get into all that in a little bit more detail, I don't believe that there is a viable path to be a, being a contender in 2021, regardless of some miraculous, you know, happening where everything just aligns and it's a perfect storm. I don't foresee that. What I think that John Middleton could have probably told Dave Dombrowski is, we will do all of the things that are necessary. However, we are not close at the moment. I will spend moving forward but I need 2021 to be more or less an evaluation year. And I am slashing payroll and I am not spending, you know, for the next calendar year. And so that gives you an opportunity, no pressure. You don't have to win right away. I need you to look at this absolute disaster, this dumpster fire that we've created. You have one year to assess how the hell we fix it. And then a year out from now we go, you know, I almost feel like that this is an assessment period that aligns with the fact that they aren't going to spend. You know, if you think all of a sudden he's just going to open up his pocket, like I've heard a lot of people say, well, Dave Dombrowski's here. They're going to spend right away. I don't believe that. I believe they're going to spend. And I believe that John Middleton is committed to spending, but I I think that he's tired of spinning his wheels. You know, I think he's tired of spending $190 million in payroll, being at the top of the league and getting absolutely no return. And so he's saying, you know what? I am going to pull back this time. And this is just my perception of it. I, again, I don't know that. Maybe he blows us all away right from the jump. But I think that this is going to be an assessment period where he does not spend, and then he'll open it up. And I think that that's what he's told Dave Dombrowski. And I think he's also saying, you know, our timeline here is more in the two- to three- to four-year range, not the 2021 range. And I know Phillies fans, after being left out in the cold for the last nine years, don't want to be told – that, hey, next year probably isn't going to be it. But 
they've got to be smarter. They've got to identify the things that have infected this franchise over the last decade. Yeah, and what I think could be done, Bob, and I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that that's exactly what it's going to be, that, it's, that they're not going to spend this offseason. But at the same time, there are so many holes with this, within this organization at the moment that they're going to have to do something, right? They're going to have to bring players in. They don't have a bullpen. They, they are lacking a like, starting pitching depth. They don't have a catcher. They don't have a shortstop. They don't really, really have a center fielder. Like, there's things that they have to do. I do think that there are value plays that they could make that could keep the team while maybe not in the thick of a division race that could keep them somewhat competitive around 500 still kind of make the season seem a little bit worthwhile for a while. Oh, I agree. And not, you know what I'm saying? Not necessarily just be, we stink for 2021. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So don't give that message out almost that, we're going to try and make this work with what we, what we can. And then once it doesn't work one more season, then we'll go out and spend the big money next year. Yeah, I agree with that. And when I say like 2021 isn't it, I don't mean that they're going to win 68 games. You know, I'm not talking about tearing right, this yeah, thing yeah. completely down, but I, I don't think that they're all in. You know what I mean? I think there is a difference right. there. And yeah. I will say this. You talk about, you know, finding valuable pieces that might not be big money items. You know, I know that he's good at going out and paying a lot of money and identifying the top guys and knowing how to land them, and, and that's part of his deal. But one thing that this organization lacked, I think more than anything else over the past few years, we can talk about player development. Obviously, that was a huge part of it. But one of the, the biggest issues was that there was no creativity whatsoever from that front office. They could not identify those mid-range value guys. They couldn't find those scrappy players, you know. And we always go back to, in this city, the teams that win. So we talk about, like, the, the J.C. Romeros. Uh, we talk about the, the Chad Durbins, the Jason Worths, the guys that – that went out and like they had these great years, but they didn't get any of those guys. Like for, right. for every like, you know, middling free agent signing that you thought, well, there could be some value here. They were disasters, all of them. And, you know, I think that that's one thing that maybe Dombrowski and, and whoever he may bring into the fold here might have more success with. And if they can do that, yeah, I do think that we could be in the middle of August, get to September and, and have a situation where you're talking about meaningful baseball, maybe talking about the possibility of playing in October. But as far as dropping the hammer, and saying, I want my effing trophy back, that's not, yeah, yeah. That's not 2021. Correct. Correct. I agree with you 100%. Um, as for the hiring itself, I, I know that already, especially if you monitor the Twitter sphere, um, that there is a, a legitimate divide uh, amongst fans um, as to whether this is a good hire or not. And I'll tell you, Bob, that my initial thought was that this is going along generational lines that the younger generation think that this is, you know, just bringing in another guy from the good old boy network. Um, and you know, not really doing the work that's necessary to, to find the next great young executive. Um, and then the older folks are going to like Dombrowski probably because he's got a little bit of that old school mentality of, you know, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to, uh, issue analytics but that he has more of a a feel right when he when he manages his teams so i think you're going to see that difference and that kind of uh, uh tug of war between younger and older fans but when we really if we put all that aside you and i and we sit here and talk about it 
I, I think it's a very good hire. And I'll dive into why I do. But I, I wanted to kind of just, you know, you're the, you're, the, you're the beat guy. You're the Phillies guy. I'm going to ask you first to kind of give your take on this hire and how Dave Dombrowski fits for the Phillies. I think that the hire is, is um, fine. You know, and, and when I say fine, it's interesting. I think the Phillies have lost all benefit of the doubt. And so everything that the Phillies do right now should be questioned, should be met with some level of skepticism, and that is totally understandable. But I, I think that the reason and the way that the Phillies are perceived right now is why people aren't excited about the hire, right? Like if, if, if it wasn't the Phillies making the hire, there'd probably be a little bit more optimism about it. But the hire in a vacuum in and of itself, I don't believe is a bad hire at all. The only concern that I have, like, if you look at him and, and people say, like, well, you know, what he does is he comes in, he builds it up, and then he just leaves, leaves it a mess. And, like, there's some truth to that. But I will tell you, like, number one, just because an outcome happened previously doesn't mean the outcome's going to happen again. Like, so we can look at Andy McPhail, right? And, like, he did have success in, in previous stops. He had no success here. So just because something happened once doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Obviously, guys that have been around the game as long as Dave Dombrowski has been and, and has had the level of success that he's, he's had, you, you have to be sharp. You have to be smart to be able to replicate that type of success again and again and again. And you, you do have to be a little bit adaptable. Like, there's not one way that he's absolutely going to do this in order to get to where he wants to be. Like, people are just so quick to dismiss his accomplishments. And I don't think that that's, that's fair. And, I mean, he's won recently. We're not talking about a guy that just won in 1991. You know, I mean, we're talking right. about a guy that, that left the World Series team. Granted, that team is, is kind of in transition right now, but – he, he built a contender within the last five years, you know, so this isn't going back two decades. And the, the other thing I'll say about it is if you really go back and follow his career, it takes some time. And that's what we're talking about. Win now. It's not going to be win right now. It takes him two, three, four years to build that winner. You go all the way back to the, to the Expos, right? He was there in the late 80s. He leaves for, for Miami or from, leaves for Florida in, I guess, like 91, 92, right as they're building that team. But the Expos were good. Like, the Expos were a really good young team. 93-94, the strike-shortened year. I believe they were, like, 35 games over 500. Yeah, they were the best team in baseball They were awesome, year. right? Like, yeah. they were going to unseat the Phillies, uh, you know, after 93. And he helped build those teams. He goes to Miami. He goes to Florida. Builds a winner, you know? And, and, and not only does he build the winner in 97, he, he's there for that fire sale. It was, was that Wayne Huizenga? Yeah. Says, get rid of all this. I mean, that's not his fault. It's not right. his fault that those teams lost. And then by the time he leaves for Detroit, I mean, he, he had his, his marks all over that 03 World Series team for the, for the Marlins as well. I mean, Correct. so I know he doesn't get credit for it, but he helped build that team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, then he goes to Detroit, maybe one of the worst situations in the, in the history of the sport, mm -hmm. and revives that franchise. I'm not telling you that the hire is great and and here's my concern the phillies invested all this money in analytics they brought in all these driveline guys right we hear about driveline and new age and new wave baseball development that is not dave dombrowski and i don't know how he's going to marry the investments that they've made and and some of the direction that they have gone with his direction that's a concern that's not a, a very natural fit and I don't know what that means 
for the organization from player development standpoint and such. But if you're just tired of seeing an aimless, disastrous, underwhelming product at the major league level year after year, my guess is if you, I'm a betting man, are the Phillies going to reach the postseason by the end of the 2023 season? Yes. Like, so if you want some hope for some short-term gratification, I think you should be excited about the hire. I don't know what the hell happens after that. Yeah. And I think that you, you broke it down really nicely, Bob, you know, and, and you know, I see people who are criticizing that he, you know, depletes a farm system. Um, I see people criticizing that he has a career losing record. And I sit there and say, when you, when you take over an expansion franchise, like you did with the Marlins, you're going to, going to be a lot of losses. You don't just come in and, and succeed right away. So there's going to be losses. He took over a Detroit team that was, like you said, arguably the worst team in the history of baseball. And in both cases, four years in Florida, and I think it was five years in Detroit, um, four years, I would say four years in Detroit, got to the World Series. And those were teams that were either non-existent or at the worst possible level they could be. The Phillies aren't either of those teams. The Phillies aren't either of those situations, which is why I care, and, and I think you're saying the same thing, this doesn't necessarily have to be a four-year thing. This is something that could be done in two to three, right? Because the Phillies are in a better spot. This is closer to what he got in Boston, all right? When he takes over in Boston in 2016, they're a good team, but they, you know, they, ha- they haven't won in a couple of years. They're trying to get back to the World Series again. They have good pieces in place, but they're missing a few things. And he goes out and got what they needed to get to win the World Series. Yeah, he gave out big-time contracts to David Price and, and big-time contract to Chris Sale. Traded away a lot of prospects to get those guys. The Boston farm system went away, right? So those things kind of happened. But it resulted in a championship. And that occurred within three years. That is what you want him to do. That said... He's also drafted decently. I, I don't want that to be the, the thing that's lost. Say, oh, well, he destroys farm systems. He also built farm systems. He built them in Montreal, like you mentioned. He built it in Florida, like you mentioned. He built it in Detroit. If I was to say to you, now he's, he was the general manager or uh, president of baseball operations for 31 major league drafts. If I was to say to you, out of uh, if just a, general, a normal general manager, um, you have that many drafts under your belt 31 uh if i said can you get me out of those drafts major league players who uh position players who play at least a thousand games um or pitchers who throw at least 400 games and or have war over 20 how many would you expect to get out of that draft out of your drafts over 30 years i mean over uh, 30 years i I guess i uh, a handful. I mean, that's one, that's a hard. That's a hell of a, a bar, you know. Okay. So. But but it's, it's a tough bar to hit, right? Yeah. I mean, you might get one of those every about, every few years, maybe. Yeah. Okay. He's had twenty eight. Twenty eight. I would say and, that, and that's some ten to fifteen would be reasonable, you know. Yeah. So he's had twenty eight. So if like if he's almost hitting one really good major leaguer per draft, which is 
which is pretty solid. And, and to be honest with you, of those guys, we've even got a couple more that could get a little higher. Uh, that could that could quite get that could get to that to that level. They're still playing currently and, and could end up at that point. So, uh, but at the I mean, you look at some of the names. Verlanders is his you know his all time best draft pick. But I mean, you, you look at he drafted Cliff Lee. Was he was he Andrew go, Miller? Did he was he Andrew Miller? Okay. Yeah, he drafted Andrew Miller. Yeah, um, DJ Lemayhew, he drafted. A lot of people don't know that as well. Josh Beckett. Um, and uh, if you want to go further back, like the older guy, well, Adrian Gonzalez wasn't that old, but if you go, you know, and Curtis Granderson, but if you go back, like Cliff Floyd, Rondell White, Rondell Charles White. Johnson, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Charles Johnson, Marquise Grissom. I mean, he, Mark Kotze. Those like, are good te- Those are good players. Those Expos players. Yeah. I remember like mid nineties, Cliff Floyd homered off of uh, like Ricky Patalico and like it was yeah. ninth inning, three run homer, right center field. And, and he hits the ball and Harry Callis goes, Oh no! <laughs> you, like right <laughs> off the bat, uh, I remember you know those those guys. Those were my formative years. Uh, Rondell yeah. White and Cliff Floyd and those guys. Marquise Grissom. Yeah. That's a name too. Jesus. Yeah, Mark Rizalonic. Like I just, yeah. I mean, I just made a list of all of all these players. Rick Porcello is another pitcher who's had some had some success. Won a Cy Young, right? Yeah. I mean, so yeah. so I mean, he's. It's not like he's just like oh, uh, I, I don't care about developing young players. He's drafted and developed good players yeah, that have come and, into the into the majors. And I think in the grand scheme of things, you want one of these uh, young, bright minds from a, an organization that's ahead of the curve and has had a lot of analytical success, like, you know, pulling anybody out of Tampa right now. I get that. Like, I really do understand why there uh, are people that would prefer to see that type of hire. Like I said, I expressed a little bit of concern about where the Phillies have gone with their with their scouting, with their player development team, and how Dombrowski's hiring – meshes with that I that is a little bit concerning to me because I don't see that natural fit I'm also willing to acknowledge that you know after the World Series part of the reason that Mookie Betts is in Los Angeles right now is because Dombrowski handed out some crippling contracts that more or less prevented the Red Sox from making the financial commitment that they needed to make to a guy like Mookie Betts and you know listen there are there are warts here there are there are issues but Again, if you have an organization that is just so far from being, you know, one of the, the more competent, well-respected teams in the, in the game, this is a stabilizing hire that, that should bring you some reasonable expectation that you can put a winning product on the field in a short amount of time. And I think right now with where this team's at, that's important. And I think that's the most important thing. To John Middleton, I I don't know that this move helps you build that consistent 10, 15 year, year after year after year, wave after wave, you know, consistent winner, but I don't hate it. Like, I'm at least willing to say there's enough positive here where we shouldn't all just freak out. And, And I will say this. I've been ultra critical of the Phillies over the last few years. If you've listened to this show, if you've read Crossing Broad, if you've heard me do radio hits, like I've crushed the Phillies to the point where I'm like, you know, they're PR people. Like they're still very nice to me. And I wonder, I'm like, you know, as I just crush you guys day after day, like, what's up? How you doing? You know? <laughs> um, but I'm willing to look at this and say like, there's enough good in this. And I think what's happened is we've just gotten so, I think turned off by this team. So uh, just absolutely hardened and frustrated by what it's, what's happened over the last few years 
that we're slanting more negative than we need to with this particular hire. And I, I really think that that's the biggest thing. And it's, it's almost funny. It kind of goes with something I've been saying about the Eagles, right? Like if you look at what's going on with the Eagles right now, they're a mess. And like their salary cap situation moving into next year is a disaster. And you listen to all these executives around the league say like, I don't even know if there's enough guys they can cut to get to the number that they're going to have to get to. Things look bleak for the Eagles. And there are a lot of different reasons for that. The quarterback, the coach, the general manager is whiffed a ton. They seem like an organization that's about to take a step back for the next few years. And that's fine. But this is also an organization that's won a ton of football games over 20 years, made the playoffs a ton over 20 years, is an organization that won a Super Bowl three years ago, is an organization that's won or been in the playoffs three straight years, right? We act like we're the, the fucking Lions. Like, you know, like, um, like, oh, poor us, year after year after year, woe is us. Like, and there, there's a reason that you should be frustrated as an Eagles fan. I am like, you can check me out between one and four every Sunday, like going off the rails. But if you really step back and pump the brakes, you realize like, yo, it's not that bad. It hasn't been that bad. Maybe we should just, you know, relax a little bit. And I think if you're a Phillies fan, you have every right in the world to be frustrated and comparing the Phillies to the Eagles right now is just not the same. But I do think it's a little bit of that same psychology that's bleeding over here where we're just so fed up and frustrated that we're not really willing to just stop and look at it and say, this might be okay. Yeah. And, and, and to add on to that, Bob, and I think that that was very well put by you, um, but to add on to that, it, Dave Dombrowski's had some missteps. He's had some mistakes in his career. He's had failed draft picks. He's given out bad contracts. Maybe I'm, you know, along the way he's made a bad trade or two. I don't know. I haven't gone through his entire transaction history, but I will say that when you're a general manager or a baseball executive for 31 years, you're going to have those. You're going to have mistakes. It's the matter of limiting the mistakes and correcting the mistakes. And this guy has a track record of doing both. Look, I, I, I know that the whole Mookie Betts thing you mentioned, you know, Boston had to get rid of him because he gave out some bad contracts. I think that, again – part of the problem between Dombrowski and ownership of Boston was that Dombrowski did not want to move Mookie Betts. He recognized that Mookie Betts is one of the two best players in baseball and said, well, let's, you know, if we need to tear it down, let's tear it down and keep him and build it back up around him. And the, I guess ownership wanted more of an instant financial situation and they chose to get rid of Mookie. And so the, so like you could sit there and blame it on the fact that Dombrowski gave out bad contracts. That's fine. But I bet you if you privately asked Dave Dombrowski, could you have found a way to keep Mookie Betts in Boston and restart and keep that thing going, he'd tell you absolutely 100%. Yeah, and, and kind of to put a little bit of a bow on this, if, if you were tired of listening to Annie McPhail, if you were tired of listening to Matt Clentak and the messaging, you know, just to kind of circle back to something I said earlier on, one of the biggest problems that this organization has had over the last five years, in addition to the fact that they don't win, is that the way that they present and package things is terrible. Their messaging to the fan base, the media is just awful. And what's interesting about that is that their PR people like, are fantastic. They're great people. They're smart. They, they really know what they're doing. Uh, but like, it does not resonate with the people that actually have to get up in front of everyone and speak, including the owner, frankly. like, Sorry, it's just the way it is. Dave Dombrowski is 
maybe one of the best ex executives in terms of dealing with the media, being able to convey a message. He's super engaging. Uh, will talk to reporters, which who cares, right? Like as a fan, you go like, who cares if they talk to reporters? In effect, they're, he's talking to the fans when he does right. that. So right. I think that he will help clean that part of it up, which again, at the end of the day, if you win 65 games or miss the playoffs for 14 straight years, that doesn't really matter. But as you are trying to climb your way back into this, having somebody that can convey that message in a little bit uh, more of a um, relatable manner, like, or more of like a palatable manner, I think is going to be important for them. Well, I think it's important. I'll just, you made a comparison to the Eagles. I'm going to make another comparison to the Eagles. When things are going bad for this Eagles team, when was the last time you heard from the general manager? It's, it's unbelievable, right? When was the last time you heard from the owner? Like, I mean, you don't, you only yeah. hear from the coach. You don't hear from the people, the executives in charge. That won't be the case with Dave Dombrowski. Uh, yeah. if you go back and look at every stop he's been everywhere he goes he's engaging he's there he's available and that matters for fans that matters for fans it's not about the media having access to him you know yes some some guys in the media i understand that guys in the media you know get a, uh, a reputation for being like oh well i talked to so and so let me throw this name around let me throw right. that that's all well that's fine and i get that but i will tell you that it it you know, and I come from the world of hockey where general managers talk all the time, right? So we're spoiled, okay? But in baseball and football and basketball, you don't really get it as often in those sports. Dave Dombrowski is that kind of guy. He will be available. He will give you the, you know, tell you what he's thinking, and he will give you a message that the fans can then take in. And that's important. That's important, especially when you're not winning right away and you're going to take two to three years. It's important to hear from him so that you could follow along with the progress. Yeah, and to that end, good segue here. I uh, did want to get to this earlier. I missed it, and I'm going to come back to it. So baseball prospectus, 2006. This is right when the Tigers were uh, kind of making their run with Dombrowski. He talks to Jonah Carey, who was, was working with them at the time, and uh, a little Q&A, and I thought this was really interesting, right? So I found this earlier. I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, Dombrowski says, uh, sometimes you have to make short-term sacrifices for long-term success. I've always been a medium to small market, so we were never going to operate with top payrolls year in, year out. To be successful, you have to have a good minor league system and be able to produce upper echelon players. Then you can supplement through trades, free agency, and Latin America, but there's not necessarily one right way to do it. Now, obviously, this was before we got to Boston, right? I think that this is kind of what you're seeing, and I think the beginning of this little excerpt is, is the key here. Sometimes you have to make short-term sacrifices for long-term success. I think that there's going to be a blend of that. And if, if there's one thing that I would say, oh, how does he feel about this move? It's that don't expect the world right away. Don't expect them to go all in right away, but also don't expect them to, to detonate this thing entirely. Um, and, and, you know, try to build from scratch. That's not where this team's at. I don't think that the hiring of Dave Dombrowski means any one thing in terms of, strategy and how they're going to build out. I think that there's going to be an honest evaluation period here. I think that Dave Dombrowski obviously has some initial thoughts about the organization, where the talent is, how they may proceed. But I do think that there's going to be a learning process here where this guy is going to have to make assessments. It may not happen right away. And I mean, obviously we're in the middle of free agency here. You have to make certain decisions in more timely fashion, but those big picture items, I do think it's going to take a little bit of time, but Ultimately, this says to me, there's an aggressive streak here. There's an acknowledgement that this has been shit <laughs> and that it needs to get better. And I believe that at least at the major league level for a period of time, it will be. Yeah, uh, just to kind of, and I, I said earlier that I, this is coming in here to Philadelphia is more akin to where he was when he was going into Boston. He took over the Red Sox after they 
it came off of a 78 and 84 season. Okay. Which is kind of probably similar to what your Phillies gave you in 60 games this year. Right. Um, the next season, 2016, they went 93 and 69, uh, won the division, lost in the first round of the playoffs. That's kind of a quick turnaround. Um, I don't think you're going to see that with the Phillies this time, but just to, just to point it out, the next season, 93 and 69, lost in the first round of the playoffs, and then 108 and 54 win the World Series. So you could see that there is that progression. I'm not saying that the Phillies are going to win 93 games in 2021, but it's probably going to be slow progression, probably make the playoffs 22, 23 is probably the year you're looking at, hey, maybe this should be, could be a year that we could do something special. Yeah, absolutely. And, is that, and, and, and I don't have a problem with that. Considering where this team is right now and where it's been the last couple seasons, if you sit here and tell me by 2023 you're looking at a team that could win the World Series – I'm on board. I'm, I'm on board for this uh, for this two two and a half year ride. Let's do it. Absolutely. All right. Well, I think that puts a nice little bow on the Dave Dombrowski news. Obviously, he will. Uh, the team will. I guess in the later today, maybe Saturday, maybe Monday. I don't know when they're going to formally, uh, you know, do this. At the time that we're recording, we don't know that yet. Uh, but. We will be back. You don't have to wait four months for this show to continue. We are here. We've made a commitment to doing it. We're going to do it throughout the remainder of the offseason leading into 2021. One of the things that Anthony and I had talked about a couple days ago, actually, uh, as we were sort of like, where are we at? Are we doing this show anymore? If we're going to do it, we need to actually do it. Um, so we are, we are back. We're going to show, uh, show up here consistently and uh, kind of try to get this show back to where we feel like it, it should be and where it was going for a time. Uh, you know, life just kind of took us in different directions for a while. Business took us in different directions for a while. But we are back. We are crossed up. I'm Bob Wankel uh, along with Anthony Sanfilippo here, and we will talk to you soon.